health is about more than just staying fit. And with every year that goes by, I'm becoming more and more fascinated by how what we eat can impact our health and our potential, with a particular focus on gut health and the gut microbiome. It's not just what I eat either, it's how I eat too. It's all connected. That's why I've developed my own number one living drinks brand. Number One Living is based on this idea, the simple notion that by putting our well-being first and improving the quality of what we put into our bodies, we get more out of life. My range of kombucha drinks are full of bacterial life cultures, designed for a happy and healthy gut. They're sugar-free, vegan and naturally sourced, so you can feel great on the inside and enjoy life on the outside. Choose from refreshing raspberry, passion fruit or our award-winning ginger and turmeric kombucha. The number one living range is widely available in Sainsbury's, Holland and Barrett's and Boots stores and online at numberoneliving.com. Grab yours today. Okay, on with the show. Hey, welcome back to I Am, the podcast that explores the possibilities and potential that we can access as human beings. I'm your host, Johnny Wilkinson. This week, I have the pleasure of speaking to Matt Selway, who is a lecturer at the University of York, St. John. His speciality is all around topics of cinema and media. I was really interested in his research into the impact of media in all its forms upon society and mental health. He was a great guest for helping me to look a bit deeper into the role of our news, film and social network industry upon guiding and limiting our growth and potential. In days gone by, I've done my fair share of interviews. I've met loads and loads of journalists. I've been part of television documentaries. I've performed astoundingly awkwardly in many adverts too. And back in the day, I actually authored some books, a couple of which are actually readable. I've been employed by probably three newspapers over the years to write columns. And I appeared and do appear sometimes as a rugby pundit on television as well. Most of my experience of media, though, has been when I've been written about as the subject of scrutiny and judgment rather than the purveyor of it. I tried hard not to buy into this world too much. I didn't read papers, reports or articles if I could help it, but somehow it always seemed to find its way back to me anyway. And none of it did me any good on the inside, the plaudits or the criticism. I let them both lead me away from my potential, I think. Even in my desperation to avoid it all, it inconvenienced my day-to-day -day life and just made it unpleasant. As a professional athlete, we are provided with media training as well, but it left me feeling just even more wary of the press and very much on my guard in their presence. The evolution of video and camera phones, they just kind of expanded the danger area to pretty much anywhere and to anyone now. The media was perhaps one of the greatest challenges of my career and definitely something I survived rather than embraced. We've received loads of great questions from listeners on that suffocating power of others' opinions and fear of failure too. How do we let expectations, judgments, constraints and pressures go when our entire culture seems to function through them and the idea that they're somehow part of this amazing life? So. This seems like a pretty decent moment to me to delve into this subject and unearth, if we can, some permission to respond to it all a bit differently. Something that began to really take the sting out of the constant criticism and scrutiny for me was realising that at my absolute best, in my peak experience moments, and these are you know, maybe a handful over my entire life, I realised that nothing on the outside affected me anymore. It just didn't matter if someone was watching. 
who was watching, how many, what they saw, what they might be thinking, what had happened before, just before, years before, what might happen next. I see now that these potential threats, they're always completely available for me if I want to try and protect myself against them or to calculate a way through them or mentally diffuse them. But in this higher state and the relationship that it inspired, I just wasn't interested in them in any way. It was no longer at all relevant. I couldn't even find them if I tried. I was so much less centered upon controlling or holding on to or meeting any kind of expectation. I was too busy creating instead. Finding permission to let go and enter into these states, for me anyway, comes from inspiring awareness of old habitual ways and generating an uncompromising willingness to accept and then to respond differently. This takes us somewhere brand new. It can seem like dealing with other people's opinions is just for me an unfortunate part of being human, something that we just have to learn to deal with. Now, I'd have gone to bat for this idea with everything I had throughout most of my career. But in paying close attention to my actual experience, it becomes so immensely clear to me that this concept, it belongs to a mindset, not to what others think. This power is not in other people's thoughts, nor is it in life itself. It's in us and how we are, I guess, cultivating that internal environment. What does seem pretty consistent across the board, however, is that ruminating over outcomes does not serve performance in any way, full stop. In fact, it just works against it. Noticing these two states of being enslaved and unenslaved to outcomes and to others, otherwise known as controlling or exploring, surviving and thriving, and then shifting from one to the other, I think is a path worth devoting all our energy towards. What tangled and tangles me up in that enslaved approach is definitely a deeply held belief that who I am is a result of all I've been through. It seems like a pretty obvious thing to say and certainly through my career it's something I, I found power in being able to stand on the field looking at an opposite number and drawing some kind of worth and value from all my challenges. But this belief dictates that me and my worth are defined by what happens to me and around me, by the way that people feel, think and speak of me, and above all, by the way that I react in those moments too. So this means there's no do-overs for that first impression, for those off moments where we get caught off guard. So what we do to survive as young children, when we do our best to get through a moment, apparently that now lasts in us forever. And we may feel like this doesn't apply to us, but how often do we talk about the conditions of our upbringing as justification for how we behave today? Through what seems like a pretty solid and reasonable belief then, I realise I'm governed by unpredictability and the uncontrollable. I can't help then but to begin to suffer the two greatest faculties that I have as a human being, my memory and my imagination. The endless possibilities these two gifts hold are suddenly converted into 
a useless one-two punch combination of regret and anxiety. This makes perfect sense to me. Looking at a game week towards the game, it's it seemed to be pure fear of failure. And then after the game, it was pure fear of the Monday morning video analysis of the game, thinking about the things I'd done wrong and regretting them and wondering how it was going to feel to see them in front of the team and all that humiliation. The unfortunate issue with perceiving myself as a product of my previous experiences and thus future ones too, is that for me at least it turned my performance into coping. It turned the possibilities of my leadership into just a crusade of controlling and it turned my attempts to connect with others into pretty much mostly exploitation. I sort of realised that if the unreliable, ever-shifting nature of how things pan out and how others think defines what happens on the inside of me, then my performance never actually belongs to me. And then I have to fritter away my precious time waiting and praying for the gods to align for me waiting for accidental or haphazard situations to come about just for a few fleeting glimpses of joy. I realise also that I can never lead or influence because I myself am being constantly led or influenced. In terms of my relationships then, I see that I kind of have no option but to do my best to manipulate other people in order to get them to feel, think or act the way that I need them to so that I can become happier or at least a little less unhappy. And I can use others therefore as references to make me feel better. So this incites all that judgment. I really can see this from my career all the way through. This filter that it creates through the beauty of love, compassion, acceptance they become sort of sneaky, conditional negotiation tactics in a self-serving approach to everything. In summary, I feel like through this one single belief or ideal, I give away all my power and potential and my gift and then beg for it back in the form of some kind of big imaginary payoff later down the line. And even the greatest, most perfect, beautiful fairy tale ending, and I've actually had a view... They don't change anything in any lasting way whatsoever. And therein, for me at least, lies the lie. The unbound potential within all of us for growth, leadership and compassion, they're world-changing opportunities. And the key to accessing them, I feel, lies right here and now in taking back some of this responsibility for our minds and uncovering that untouchable worth and value. In my eyes, I think we may have mixed up the potential of ourselves and our life experience with our outcomes and our life circumstances. I know from my past experience, I've been desperate to become responsible for how things turn out and therefore just diluting my ability to contribute and engage and all my presence. I've been overreaching and stepping out of my lane, definitely. If we want the answers, the guarantees and the destinations, but we don't want the journey, the challenges or the vulnerability or the potential, then what does this mean? We're trying to take on that which simply doesn't belong to us, 
by removing that which is essential to us, the unknown. We cannot decide to feel worthy or deserving. We cannot choose to be inspired the same way that we cannot decide to live in the moment. In fact, all we ever hear is people talking about trying to live in the now. We never hear them living in the now. We can be responsible for how we nourish and support our potential, but not for how it manifests itself. Once we begin to open our awareness and begin saying yes to what is, then we will, I think, unlock more of our ability to respond to things differently, which will create a different world. We just can't know ahead of time how exactly we are going to respond or how it's going to turn out. But imagine if we did know everything that was to come for us. The whole beauty of being here would be gone. Just like waiting for a game in the changing room feels so desperately challenging, but were we to know every second that was out there on the field, it would only take five seconds of going through those motions to realize that we'd want out. Beliefs and ideas will become part of us if we identify with them, and then they will hold us hostage. Fear of failure for me has simply been the notion that the death of an idea will be the death of me. Losing someone's praise or respect has been like losing myself. Our reputational survival efforts, I think, are drip-feeding a lethal pandemic of chronic stress this way. To try and survive a situation is almost like saying that I want what I have already and what I know of myself already to be enough. I'm not interested in learning, revealing or growing anymore. I'm just not interested in evolving, nor am I bothered about my potential, no matter how much I might say that I am. It brings to mind an expression I've heard I think is quite powerful is, are we living just to die or are we truly willing to die to live? Fight or surrender, resist or accept, react or respond. As we exposed a bit before, these are pretty much the two avenues available at every juncture. To what we truly, truly know about ourselves and about life, we never need to stand up for. And this is that deeper sense of the I, that worth of the I and the I am. I don't think we'll ever feel compelled to go to battle on behalf of our awareness, our acceptance, our creativity or our ability to respond. But if we attach ourselves to what comes after the I am, then we'll find ourselves, I think, often in the throes of conflict. Whether we believe it or disbelieve it, it doesn't bring us any closer to the truth, another expression I've heard. Becoming aware of our constant need to stand up for things, prove our worth, compete and compare, when it's not at all rewarding or enjoyable for us, is a brilliant step. From here, I feel like we can choose instead to give in, to absolutely accept or deeply see that we just don't know. We welcome, therefore, I think, what may be sometimes quite a humiliating experience, but I think deep down an inconceivably powerful shift in what's possible for us. In the state of not knowing, everything becomes interesting. We become curious again. I can feel the old empty our cup first quote coming in here somewhere. So why is there such a need to cover up our not knowing? Why is it not okay to humbly recognize that we just do not and cannot, I don't think, ever have all the information? The compulsion to control and know that which we cannot be controlled is a big reason for maybe 
this energy of our time that forms such a big part of my conversation around media and its powerful influence with Matt. Our personal stories cover up the unknown for us and they make for some actually inspiring and uplifting moments, there's no doubt. They're so powerful, but even when they are magical, I think they're still holding us back from the indescribable beauty of engaging absolutely in this undefinable present moment. Our stories give context to the now, but they can't come with us into the now. They can give context to a person, but they cannot tell us anything about their being. If we want the absolute connection to life and to others, I think it's in the bare nakedness of our being that we will encounter it. When stories of images of who we are meet and converse with stories of who we think someone else is, it may make for some pretty decent soap opera, like actors on the stage playing roles, but the potential for real transformation, it lies underneath, untouched. But by disentangling ourselves from our own stories, we automatically liberate others from our stories of them too. And then it's all new ground. Spontaneity, synergy, serendipity, synchronicity, and any other words beginning with S you can think of as well. We happily judge people claiming that they might be this sort of person, whether they're weak or spoilt or inept or unworthy or weird, or we think of situations to be pointless or boring, a waste of time, etc., etc. But a nice little self-check here is to ask how deeply have we researched before we've concluded, bearing in mind that these hard-stop opinions will likely be the barrier to any extra dimensions of experience for us, from connecting to others and experiencing more of life. Maybe we might like to turn over every single stone or explore every atom of someone else's being first, maybe challenge every single limit within us, maybe to see everything from every angle, maybe see what it's like to spend every moment of every day in their shoes. Or maybe we could just ask them one single question about themselves or find out how they're feeling or sit and observe our own feeling just for two minutes. The immediate understanding for me is that we can never do all the research. And so I'm wary of my opinions. I'm especially wary of my strong ones. And I'm totally, I think, more than ever uninterested in latching onto any of them as keepers. So researching like this in the name of challenging mainstream narratives is becoming, I think, a big possibility with the technology we have now. We have access to listen and calmly decide for ourselves, to inform ourselves ceaselessly, to be updating, refreshing our views from an incredible array of diverse resources. And including more than anything else, the revelations of our own first-hand life experience. We can take what works, we can discard what doesn't, and we can keep adding what's uniquely ours, as Bruce Lee once said. It is a never-ending work in progress. I used to think of it as a process, but it tends to sound like it has a beginning and an end. But when you take the beginning and the end away, it's an adventure. It's an exploration. It's an ever-shifting, expanding, I guess, position 
from which there's no real point ever of laying down defining markers upon ourselves or anyone else. I think this can be a useful way of seeing through the importance of seeking our worth in the flippant and constantly changing opinions of others. I marvelled as a child and still do today at the courage of reporters to go into war zones, lining up with the troops, not with guns, but with cameras and notepads in order to give us the closest representation of this unimaginable reality. They were willing to give their lives for such an endeavour, just like the soldiers. And yet I've heard myself verbally package up another human being, metaphorically, of course, all their dreams, achievements, their challenges, all their beauty, their strife, their sorrow and their infiniteness into a tiny little box and marked it with the word average and then sealed it up with a bow, all from the luxury of my own comfort zone. I feel like we want to comment on everything we see and feel. We want to understand it all. Maybe it makes us feel less lost and confused. Maybe we just want to affect change in the way that follows our ideals and best interests. But this for me is the path of life for everyone. Revealing our creative nature, finding that exciting relationship with the unknown, a comfort in discomfort and a curiosity with change and impermanence. Here lies the vision, the passion, the gift and the energy that serves us tirelessly and everyone else as well. Above all else, the way it's appeared for me in my life is my relationship with myself. And this has been key to my relationship with others. I've been really harsh on myself, hugely critical, massively doubting, pessimistic and negative. And in that state, I found others to be similar with me and their opinions terribly difficult to take. I have the capacity, I guess, to be my own best friend instead. I found myself stressed and unhappy a lot of the time when I was on my own, and this may have been because I was keeping questionable company. I can instead lead myself back to the unknown. I can ease myself back into relaxation. I can gently usher myself back with unconditional support into acceptance and bring with this complete awareness. I can be that soothing, supportive voice until there is no longer such a need for a voice. And then I can fall silent into that deep engagement. I guess there's plenty of expressions out there that make this fairly obvious. To go easy on myself, enjoy myself, give myself a break, love myself, look after myself, help myself, and all else, urge myself to see that I'm perfect as I am and where I am right now. So I'm gone for it pretty hard on this one. You probably guess it's been a big old part of my journey and something that I've loved exploring and definitely will continue to. But Matt himself, when talking about the media and its effect, brings a lot of this up in me. He's got a humble, very interesting take on it all and the way that it shapes our world. But him and I also get to indulge in some ideas about how as agents for great change, we also get to decide what the future looks like in this space, which is such an exciting concept. Definitely, definitely worth looking into, I think. I hope you enjoy the chat coming up on Thursday. As ever, let me know what you think. And also, if you've got any ideas for topics and areas you feel would be worth having a crack at. We've had amazing guest suggestions that we're following up on all the time and actually bringing into being as well. So please chip in with whatever you've got. 
We have a specific recording for answering questions coming up soon as well. But uh, more than anything, thank you for your support. Wishing you well and asking you also to go easy on yourselves and enjoy life too. My name is Johnny Wilkinson. This is the I Am Podcast with Matt Selway. So that's it for another episode of I Am. It's brilliant to be sharing this unfolding experience with you all. If you'd like to get in touch with either me or the guest, then all the information you need is in the show notes. I welcome all and any feedback. I really want all of you to have a hand in guiding the feel of this show and the path of the conversation as well. So just keep them coming in. But until next time, I'm Johnny Wilkinson. This has been I Am. This show is brought to you by Mags Creative. The executive producer is Megan Hill-Smith. Assistant producer is Alex Macy. 